Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Jay Sandos just sitting down. It is Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We've got four segments today per the usual. A lot of fun and also a Southern Conference recap right off the top of the show. And it's good to have you back after a 3.23 a.m., I guess, Friday morning, Thursday night show. That was the last time I saw you. Were you able to rest over the week? Am I looking any better? Or is that a loaded question? Your eyes were very bloodshot, probably from all the crying on the way back. I know you take losses emotionally. <laughs> it was uh, you're, you're a buck through and through, and so for that, I will not make fun of the tears that surely were streaming down your face on the way back from Chattanooga. It was uh, it was made even worse with some of the shots I took from one of the SIDs, Jim Horton, the basketball SID for Chattanooga. Me and him have a long-standing uh, battle uh, on some DMs on Twitter where we clearly are hammering each other and the uh, respective teams. Why wouldn't you? He had a couple good points, and... Uh, it's a bad sign when you can't dispute any of them. So it's, <laughs> you're just kind of stuck staring and, and giving a couple of gifts of applaud and well played, sir, and all some of those. So I've tried to recover. Try to recover. Uh, so what now? What? So what now? What? That's right. So what now? What is Randy Sanders' press conference in about an hour over at the football stadium uh, from when we're taping this? I'm going to have to put up the show after because we're a little bit late to tape today. But we'll talk with Coach Sanders and hear from him on Wednesday. But uh, today it's going to be a four down special edition that I like to call fail downs. <laughs> or four fails, whichever you prefer. Uh, but there was a lot of strange, strange things that happened this last week, uh, many of which are of the catastrophic variety for, uh, I guess I'll spoil one of them, let's say U.S. soccer. Uh, that will be one Oof. of the fail downs that we can discuss Oof. as our neighbors to the north were not so neighborly to us in what is called the CONCACAF Nations Cup, whatever that is. It's a first-year tournament, I suppose. But we'll talk about that. We'll also do bold predictions. And we've got a fantastic pros versus Jays today, I think. Do we? I think it's top level, good as it gets, upper echelon, um, football related, of course. And I think you'll actually enjoy it. I say that about most of them, though. That's funny. You notice I do say that about most pros versus Jays, and that ends up being the exact opposite. This one, I think you'll actually enjoy. And I probably also say that, too, every week. We'll see. We'll okay. see. I'm just uh, – I, I feel about as confident as that as, as me knowing exactly what's going on in Southern Conference. Well, I am befuddled and confused as well. Three Southern Conference games in football this past weekend makes my head hurt. I don't really understand exactly what's going on at all now. If I had any idea before, I think you and me were kind of in agreement on what we thought was going on in the Southern Conference. And then Citadel beat Furman on the road 27-10, to 10, like a resounding victory, very decisive, not a lot of – questions left after this win Grayson Atkins got the opening field goal on Furman's first drive from 48 yards out but the next 21 for the Bulldogs Clay Harris Dante Smith and Remus Bulmer first half rushing touchdowns but those that scored really not the story quarterback Brandon Rainey really set the tempo set the pace controlled the game 26 carries 165 yards on the ground 370 total rushing yards for Citadel and for Furman Darren Granger I know you got to see him up close and personal when ETSU visited Furman. He's really starting to show his inexperience at quarterback. He did have a really good week against Sanford two weeks ago, 6-9, 183, and four scores. But we remember that lackluster performance against ETSU. And then Saturday, 5 for 25 for 44 yards. I think you can clearly see that, you know, when you, if you can get off to a good start when you're, you know, a redshirt freshman, haven't played a lot, get off a true start – and the game plan is that the first kind of reads are going for you. Everything's on schedule on that. 
where you knock them off schedule and you take things away that that isn't there that's where you're starting to see it so in the first couple drives Furman was able to do that against ETSU then from that point on really ETSU was able to to withstand really anything sustained drive that Furman could do except for you know the the short punt sort of a Hail Mary pass and they were able to punch it in but other than that ETSU kept on bouncing from a little bit and I didn't watch it all and I haven't watched gone back and had a chance yet but Citadel did a good job of knocking them back off schedule putting them in situations they didn't want to do and really doing a good job I think of taking away the first read and then from there I think you know that's where the inexperience does come into play and what scares you is if he's a guy that's going to be there for four years you know you kind of need to take advantage of that year one maybe year two because then the final two years I mean he could be at a very high level and with that offense being so multiple and I think that's what Furman is banking on that how good they could be but Citadel did a good job of keeping them off schedule taking away some things that that were easy to go and you can nothing inexperienced quarterback was the right way to word that and if you can get up early and force them to not be able to run every single play because they're built for those six seven eight minute drives when you're down by 18 points and you're going to half and you're looking at how many possessions you have left you almost have to play perfect if you're just going to run the ball the rest of the game and of course that's saving turnovers and big game-changing plays yeah I think that that that's the big thing is is getting them off schedule number one and you know they got behind early so they probably still should have had some of the playbook but I, I think Citadel was great at at making Furman one dimension I don't know that Furman wants to throw a pure 25 times right I don't I don't think that's it at all so we'll, we'll just have to see if that's you know if if maybe ETSU didn't help with the blueprint Citadel a little similar I think defensively just like Wofford will be just like I think Chattanooga will be and things that they'll be able to do against uh, Furman that Sanford really can't do. So I, I think it would be interesting to see if the blueprint ETSU laid out could be the blueprint, and let's see how Furman maybe tries to adjust down the road. And I said it was 21-3 at the half. I misspoke. It was 21-3 after three quarters. So then, certainly with 15 minutes to go down 18 points, you really do have to go into panic mode, crisis mode, evasive action, and change really your whole game plan. Clearly it did not work for Furman. Just 216 total yards for the Paladins and Citadel's defense has kind of been middle of the pack this year gave up 61 to Sanford 34 to VMI but just 10 to Furman Citadel's losses so far Sanford and VMI in the conference uh, and wins over Western and now Furman for Furman the rest of the way at Western Carolina you'd imagine considering the Catamounts don't provide much resistance to anything at least this year uh, that's probably a good bounce back victory at Chattanooga home to VMI at Wofford so that's the other three of the top teams in the conference uh, at least I think in your and my minds with Chattanooga VMI and Wofford joining Furman in the top four so while you do get that bounce back possibility this week those next three are a bear speaking of bears Mercer 34 VMI 27 it was the Bears up 27 to 6 going to the fourth quarter clearly the Kedats just turned it on too late they get two fourth quarter rushing touchdowns from Alex Ramsey who by the way now has 17 on the ground this year he's on pace for some really uh, record shattering type numbers not only in the Southern Conference but if you look at the FCS rankings for rushing touchdowns if he continues this kind of pace he's going to be top 10 top 5 in FCS history when all said and done this year Aris Udinsky passing touchdown also in the fourth. If it wasn't for a Tyree Devison 56-yard touchdown run with three minutes left, VMI very well may have sent it to overtime, but Ramsey's last touchdown was with 57, 56 seconds left, I should say, and Mercer could kneel it out. Well, the, the, the big thing that sticks out was there was a delay in the game, and I thought it was weather. Turns out it was Robert Riddle and a horrific injury to it. You say sticks out. His ankle was sticking out uh, of his leg. And it was just horrible. There were several players and coaches. It's the worst thing they had ever seen. There's, a, I think, a great photo of Mercer and VMI kind of surrounding the ambulance and, and uh, you know, kind of in prayer, uh, hoping that, um, you know, that everything goes well Robert Riddle. But just unfortunate. And Mercer, it is really weird. This is the third straight year that they've lost a starting quarterback um, because of some injury and, and not, again, not just like, well, we've turned an ankle, it's going to be out for a couple weeks. I mean, they've had some horrific injuries uh, that have cost guys seasons. And so, again, Mercer and Robert Riddle was having a nice little year. I know they hadn't had some of the wins, but Robert Riddle was having a nice year from get out of Chattanooga, Macaulay High School. And then I also think maybe taking advantage of the situation because – right after that that happened late first half 
third quarter, I want to say it was the first drive, Mercer comes down, and their backup quarterback, the quarterback had started against ETSU. 2017 Southern Conference Freshman of the Year, yeah. Dylan Riley. So um, Riley's in there, drives him down the field, right, gets him in field goal position. Then Harrison Frost, who is a walk-on quarterback, is the holder, and Bobby Lamb dials up the old fake field goal touchdown pass. And I think instead of making that game what would have been 16-6, that went to 20-6. to I mean, a beautiful call there. And then again, uh, Mercer doing a nice job to go up 27-6. to And like you said, too little, too late. But I think using some of the emotion, some of the other things, knowing maybe – Situation and Bobby Lamb's been he's been known as a riverboat gambler in his day, uh, but uh, was able to dial it up. The other impressive thing was to see VMI fight like you'd imagine they would, and Udinsky still no interceptions, which is unbelievable. I mean, he's over halfway through the year now with another forty six attempts, no interceptions. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> the fact that he throws the ball as much as he does and still is on that number, there doesn't seem like. And considering the twenty seventeen Southern Conference Freshman of the Year award did go to Kalen Riley, I mean. You've got him and Riddle. There's just not much of a drop-off there. And so while the injury, you feel horrible for Robert Riddle because I did see a picture that someone took and put it on Twitter. Oh, it was absolutely horrible. And so you hope that he's gone through surgery, everything's okay, and he's able to just walk again and hopefully be ready for next year. But uh, aside from that, uh, there isn't much of a drop-off, which makes the injury not – hurt as much on the field at least concerning you have Riley for a lot of fans they won't even notice but Riley has started against him all the the last couple of years right. and, and I think Harrison Frost ended up coming in and playing majority uh because of an injury to Rit uh yeah to um Riley and so the funny thing Robert Riddle's been uh, really good for a couple of years and Buck fans won't even see him because of the time of the year of when the game happens they're going to see uh, Riley for the third time in his young career uh, as a starting quarterback, assuming he hangs on the job and, and you know, uh, Frost or somebody else doesn't come out to beat him. Considering the rest of the schedule for VMI, that loss probably ends their title hopes. And to jump that far ahead, I think, was something that maybe wasn't even on VMI's mind, right? Like considering that they were a bottom two or three team entering the year and a lot of different polls and have been perpetually bottom three in the league for the longest time. I don't think that was on a lot of people's minds, but just taking that out of play with that loss to Mercer, considering you have Western at home, uh, again, that's a a winnable game, uh, and you should win it if you're going to be in the top half of the conference, but then Furman on the road and home to chat to end. So two games that after the Western contest, uh, much like we talked about with Furman, could be very difficult. Mercer breaks their four-game losing streak in which they didn't really look all that competitive at times in those games. So this, again, was one that was kind of out of nowhere. Citadel at least has the win over Georgia Tech, and you're like, okay, well, certainly there's something there, but Mercer really hasn't shown a lot at all this entire season of being able to beat any top echelon team so that leaves me to wonder and question you is mercer resurgent or is vmi just maybe a bit overrated have we gotten caught up in the key debt hype i i think vmi is a lot like etsu last year and the room for error is very very small and a couple of plays probably dictates how how vmi season goes a couple plays here or there and they could win the rest and a couple of plays there they could lose the rest i, I think just as etsu's margin was slim I think that's exactly what it's going to be uh, for VMI. And then honestly, if you look at the wins for Mercer, I mean, the first two games were West Carolina, then they were going to have a bye and decide to play Presbyterian, who's a bottom feeder. Right. And so we know what West Carolina is. And then, honestly, they they got beat pretty handily, except for maybe the Campbell game, which was another bad loss. Right. And so seeing them beat VMI, who had – been playing pretty good football as of late I think is a good win for Mercer still not convinced I'd put him uh, anywhere plus now that you're getting back to Keelan Riley how does that change the offense well they do I know David Durden the wide receiver had been hurt for a while so they've been dealing with a few things themselves so we'll just have to see I'm still probably more of a believer in VMI than I am Mercer for sure Wofford destroyed Western 59-7. Not a game we need to talk about a whole lot. We kind of know what each of those teams are at this point. Wofford has chat this weekend, big one, then at Clemson, at Mercer, home to Furman, at Citadel. And that closer against Citadel, final regular season game. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, that is intense. So their schedule looks that much worse after this weekend with Mercer winning and Citadel winning the standings as we go into, what is this, Southern Conference week number five, Chattanooga. 
And I'm not going to talk about a whole lot here, but I'm going to talk about the bowl predictions. Chattanooga's undefeated at 3-0, top of the league. Wofford 3-1, Furman 3-1, VMI 3-2, Citadel, Mercer, and Sanford all 2-2. And And you can see the drop-off to ETSU in Western Carolina. But uh, again, and talked about this in a buck minute today, 17 points separates ETSU and being 3-1 and and being up there with Wofford and Furman as well. It's pretty incredible, The as you said, narrow margin of error that each team has in the Southern Conference, maybe say, a Western Carolina um, clearly maybe Furman's in that category now too I still think just looking at how everything's unfolded so far that Wofford and I know I said last week going into the Citadel contest that Furman was the top team in the league Wofford probably number two I have to flip those two after this week Wofford didn't necessarily prove a whole lot to me by beating Western Carolina in the way that they did that was a foregone conclusion but Furman with the close game against DTSU at home and now with the 17-point loss at home, those are red flags to me. And I, I'm not saying blow the whole thing up and you have to figure something else out if you're Clay Hendricks and company, but there are definitely some issues that need to be resolved there. So currently, if I were to put power rankings on this conference, I would have Wofford first, Furman second, and probably Chattanooga third still, despite my clear affinity this year for the Mox. Well, you know, it be interesting. You know, Chattanooga, if you look at their – their wins so far, right? I mean, you look at Mercer does have two wins, um, and then Western and ETSU don't, right? So you're looking at two. Regardless of what we think about ETSU, the result hasn't been there, right? Exactly. You look at at Furman and, uh, you know, Wofford's three and one. Um, I I agree. I I think Wofford right now I would put one, put Furman two and chat three, but that would be a fine line for me on two and three i think i would still put them there but to me that's a fine line and honestly after that i go vmi and flip a quarter right Um, i mean you know citadel up and down i mean you could see sanford maybe coming out of there mercer the the quote-unquote schedule for etsu looks a little lighter at the end but they've still got to win a game to to even get that in the conversation right i think for me you get past the first three and then it's flip a coin uh it's wofford Furman, and then chattanooga and chattanooga just hasn't played what you look in the standings this is not you know us surmising anything this is just looking in the standings they haven't played Wofford they haven't played Furman they haven't played VMI they haven't played Citadel I mean they haven't played the teams that right now in the standings again regardless of opinion are the best teams yeah, in they're the combined two and ten I mean it's, it's fact is fact Chattanooga right. beaten three teams that have combined for two wins in league play correct so uh, I think after those top three then I'd throw VMI into the category of I just don't know they could finish anywhere from four to eight uh, yeah, I, the top three right now seems to be a little settled, and it's funny how that changed. We thought maybe VMI was in there, and Chattanooga's fighting her way in. Now a week later, we're thinking Chattanooga's in there, and VMI's maybe fighting her right. way to get back in there. So, and a lot of those <laughs> teams are going to play each other, right? Right. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're the NFL yeah. in the Southern Conference. All right, what's well, upside for a timeout? When we come back, is it uh, failed? Failed? Failed out? Failed downs after this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. One, two, three, four. 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 Oh my god. I'm not so normally much a fan of Mike Gallagher, but I am today. <laughs> there is so much failure this week. Let's get to it. First down. Sam Darnold said that the New York Jets offense would be unstoppable when Chris Herndon returned. Have you heard of Chris Herndon? <laughs> <laughs> Have I heard of him? You gave me the look as if the answer is no. Um could you pick him out of a lineup? How about that? No. I couldn't either. I personally had never heard of him. Uh, he is a tight end for the New York Jets. One time in his two-year career, he has had over 65 receiving yards. He's a fourth-rounder out of the University of Miami, drafted last year. Ten times he has been targeted four times or less by a New York Jets quarterback in his career. 
Uh, I don't know how he all of a sudden makes the big difference. And now I will say this in defense of Sam Darnold with this fail down that he was out and Luke Falk was quarterbacking and he had mono and he came back last week through for 338 yards. They looked a lot better, et cetera, et cetera. They have Le'Veon Bell. Okay. But especially when you've got the New England Patriots coming to town tonight who are off to what could be the best defensive start in the history of football. To go and say that your offense could be unstoppable when Chris Herndon comes back, I am not sure of Chris Herndon's status for tonight. That's all they're missing for their offense to be unstoppable, according to Sam Darnold. But I think the timing was a little bit strange when you have the best team in the NFL coming well, to town on the next week. Are we sure that Herndon's coming back at all? And this is the greatest cop-out from Sam Darnold of all time. <laughs> I suppose it's a good point. He's like, he's ever coming back. So I, I, you can't prove me wrong. Is he one of those guys that, like, I'm just going to say something I know that really can't be proven because he can't come back. And then, you know, you can But here's it. the bigger point. When has the New York Jets offense ever 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 been unstoppable mm-hmm. Chad Na- Pennington to Lavernius Coles wasn't it uh, Joe Namath Joe Namath and Maybe. he was actually not even that great of a quarterback no, he, he just had the guarantee he wasn't I'm trying to think with Parcells Curtis Martin those guys Keyshawn uh, Vinny okay but, but they still team. didn't they still didn't well like they scored 40 a game well and think about that too. is Keyshawn Johnson a Hall of Famer yet will he be a Hall of Famer he, I, I don't remember I don't. I'm literally asking I don't think I don't think the numbers will say he is, but sometimes in the NFL it's personality. Sure, I don't. NFL's not like baseball. Ba- baseball is a hundred percent. Some writer has to. You have to hit these things that a writer and people vote on that believe is like boom. That's what you got to do, right? You have to do these, or you're not even thinking. And and then there's the ridiculous. Well, I don't think I need to vote for him for five years or whatever. If he's Hall of Famer, he's Hall of Famer. Vote for him. What, what, I don't understand that. Football's different. They want to celebrate the game. They get people in there. They get larger in life. They got veterans committees. They do all kinds of other things. I mean, Curtis Martin's a no-brainer as far as going in. Over 14,000. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a no-brainer. I mean, I doubt uh, Vinny Intercepted Verdi's going to get in. Ouch. Uh, you know, the, he played for like 47 uh, Wayne years. Corbett, right? I mean, he's, oh, Wayne Corbett. He's not, I mean, he's not getting in. So, Keyshawn would be your next, uh, your next closest okay. guy. But to be fair, you're making the point perfectly right now. There yes. are borderline, if not Hall of Famers, on that team. And you look at this offense, and that offense was not unstoppable by any no. means. So you've got Sam Darnold to Chris Herndon, apparently. Le'Veon Bell's a very good player. On the outside, uh, Robbie Anderson, I guess. I mean, are you, first of all, let's go back real quick. Are, are you discounting Mark Buttfumble Sanchez as, uh, and his teams? Well, how about uh, even Brett Favre couldn't make that offense unstoppable? That's true. So you've got Sanchez. Who I mean, did he was make 70, two, but yeah. Sanchez did make two AFC title games. He did. He How did. much of that uh, was on the, the defense? Right, right. They were winning thirteen ten games. Yeah. So, so. point being, uh, if Vinny Testaverde, Keyshawn Johnson, and Curtis Martin were not unstoppable, I don't think Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell, Chris I mean, Herndon, and Robbie Anderson. That actually led to one of the greatest Bart Scott uh, quotes of all time with the "Can't wait" or whatever. Can't wait. Right after they beat New, Eng- New England. So. Yeah, and I, I bet they can't wait for tonight too, which is yeah. going to be another slaughter in favor of New England. Second down. Second fail. Uh, Leanne Walker. We love our LPGA this is golf. My we love this our is LPGA golf story. here on Santos and the Sidekick. Uh, she hadn't played on the LPGA tour since 2008. Now, this was early last week, from what I understand. Apparently, Monday and Tuesday around. She's now working in real estate and hasn't played again in 11 years, at least on the tour. Uh, she did not know, and I don't blame her for not knowing this, that her caddy could not line up behind her when putting. Each time that occurs, it's a two-stroke penalty, which seems very excessive to me, although I'm no golf expert. She was assessed 42 strokes of penalty for her Monday round Mm -hmm. after self-reporting these violations. I believe she was told by a caddy like on the 14th or 15th hole, and all of a sudden she was like, oh, well, I don't know what I should do. Called the rules official and basically self-reported. 16 strokes for Tuesday's round. She shot a 127. Yeah, right. I think it was on like hole 14 or 15. And so she shot a 127 after penalty strokes were included in the first round, a 90 in the second round. Overall, plus 73, which I think for me is a pretty good couple of rounds for you. Uh, I think you're probably closer to the 90 than the 127, depending on how the back's feeling that day. Uh, but unfortunately for Leanne Walker, the LPGA uh, is a stage where you can't hide those things like you and me can. A plus 73. Well, I never had a caddy, so I don't ever have to worry about that aspect of it. But I am very proud. But a caddy make you better or worse, very, do you think? Oh, I don't know. No. <laughs> Because a caddy would look at my swing and try to tell me something, right. and it would just it wouldn't go well. Yeah. Just buddy, just I, I've told people before, please look away while I swing, because I don't need to either a have you tell me what I'm doing on my swing, or b you try to have me explain my swing to you, because I can't do it. It's all self-taught. So, 
I'm very proud of that because I think I could shoot the uh, 217 or whatever she shot for two rounds. I feel pretty confident I could do that. Good and anytime you read a golfer throws 127 on the board, that's a professional. I think it just makes you feel better about yourself. No question about that. I do feel bad for Leanne Walker. I really do, too, yeah. because she honest mistake, but being a, a golf can you give integrity, her a pass? It's integrity. She, she, She's self-reported, so can't the rules officials just be and, like, eh, let her slide? Well, and the rules officials, uh, I'm sure, were like, well, you do realize that rule changed like eight years ago or whatever it was. And you haven't <laughs> Is played that how long 11. ago it changed? Oh, it was like six or seven. <laughs> Like, it wasn't wow. something they did the past year and okay. nobody paid attention well, to it. Well, that changes it a bit. It, it was like five, six years ago. But she hadn't played professionally in a while. And I actually had to ask Coach, uh, former uh, retired ETSU men's golf coach Fred Warren, I was yeah. like, hey, when did they change that rule? And he goes, oh, it used to be a thing she played. So he, he gave me the background, but then it was ultimately like four or five years ago that changed. I think so. the self-reporting should give her a little bit of reprieve from those penalties. Well, at least we didn't have somebody call in uh, to give the penalties. I always hated that. Well, she wasn't going to be in contention anyway, it didn't look like. I think she shot like a 75 and then a 72. Now, she probably would have took, taken home a little bit more money. You that's don't want to take home more money. That's also why out. her playing partners probably didn't bring it up either. Because yeah. they're like, eh, she struggled. Exactly. Right, we're fine. And, and it's the first time she's on the tour in 11 years. Like, give her a break. Mm. I don't know. I Third can't, down. I can't believe we have a second down. This ought to be great. Oh, yeah. It gets worse. It's your favorite. The United States, I know you are a big soccer aficionado. Uh, the United States loses to Canada. Uh, and in anything, you would be going, ugh. ugh. But in soccer, where they hadn't lost to Canada in 34 years, ugh. in 17 tries, in the CONCACAF Nations Cup, a first-of-its-kind creation by CONCACAF, which is basically the governing body of this region of soccer in the world. Um, which, which, appla- is, which applauding to them, they're trying to get it out there more. Uh, and, and national trying to get it out there, as, a poor, uh, as opposed to some of the, the league champion uh, uh, concave and stuff where they're not all national you know I, I applaud trying to do more i believe they're doing these on fifa match days where a lot of these players and teams otherwise wouldn't be playing so again yes they are trying to brand it more create new competitions get more interest because the soccer in Concacaf, quite honestly is not very good if you look on the world stage uh canada speaking of the world stage number 75 in the fifa rankings the u.s number 21 one of the bigger upsets i think in recent soccer international history and certainly for the u.s a very low moment the san diego union tribune says the only fix for u.s soccer is a complete reboot i feel like we just had a complete reboot like three or four years ago so is it really time for another i'm not sure but an embarrassing loss undoubtedly and certainly garnered your interest when soccer usually is not in your radar yeah I, we, the loss to trinidad and tobago is pretty bad which was to keep them out of the world cup. Got out of the world cup which was huge news so then they said okay we've got to scrap it let's go different they brought bruce arians back and i got a new coach and that's not work so and then i'm i was reading a couple bruce of them. arians yeah oh sorry bruce arenas sorry. bruce arenas sorry. gilbert arenas the head coach of the yeah yeah, yeah bruce arenas sorry um i said brought him back for second stint try to write the ship and then kind of keep him afloat until they figure out who's gonna manage the squad and I, a lot of the mls coaches i was reading about uh were giving it to really they just they're just not the, the the U.S. players and and really North American and all. They were including Canada, Mexico. So they're just not born and bred with the love and the commitment that I think other right. countries are. And if it's not playing for something that you can see it, that those guys aren't giving it their all, as opposed to every time you put on the uniform representing your nation, you should be putting it all forward. So I think there's something to that. But, yes, I was quite dumbfounded uh, <laughs> at, at watching that. The only thing you should lose to Canada in is – Curling. It, curling. Even though we beat them in curling a lot, I feel like. You know, hockey. Uh, hockey I would give. And then the last thing is ice fishing. Other than that, you shouldn't lose to Fourth down. I'm going to go ahead and give you the play-by-play of the Los Angeles Chargers and Tennessee Titans final, let's see, 30 or so seconds yesterday. In a 23-20 to game, the Titans punted away to the Chargers. The Chargers able to advance it down to the 16 with 44 seconds left, and that's when everything kind of came unraveled. I was watching this live, and it was the most perplexing last 45 seconds of my entire life. Uh, Phillip Rivers, pass short middle to Austin Eckler for 16 yards. Touchdown! And you're thinking, oh, man, Chargers. They're starting to turn it around. They're going to win one of these close games. The replay official reviewed the runner, broke the plane, and the play was reversed. Phillip Rivers passed short middle toss Neckler to the one for 15 yards. And you're like, okay, well, you're still on the one. And keep in mind, this was a odd thing for Mike Vrabel to do, and I know he's a little bit more unconventional of a head coach than most, but he takes a timeout to try and save time 
for the Titans because there would be a 10-second runoff uh, if he didn't take a timeout because the scoring ruling, if you rule that there's a score and you reverse, there's a 10-second runoff if the clock is running. So there was going to be a 10-second runoff. He takes a timeout even though San Diego didn't have any timeouts themselves. And with 29 seconds left then, uh, you would have had a running clock and San Diego would have had to run a play and, you know, you start to maybe get into nerves tighten up, panic mode. Instead, he takes a timeout, gives San Diego time to think about it. Well, a full start penalty moves San Diego back to the six. So if you don't take that timeout, then you have another 10-second runoff for the false start and things are really starting to snowball on you. You're at their six if you're the Chargers. Anyway, you're at the six on first and goal with 39 seconds left because Vrabel took the timeout. And there's a pass interference call. Pass, incomplete, short left, Mike Williams. Penalty on Malcolm Butler, defensive pass interference, moves it back to the one, and once again, you're saying, all right, San Diego's in business. 34 seconds left, first and goal at the one. Melvin Gordon, right tackle for one yard, touchdown! And you're like, okay, it was just delaying the inevitable, right? The replay official reviews the runner, broke the plane ruling, the play was reversed. Melvin Gordon, right tackle to Tennessee one for no gain. And by the way, those two plays, Austin Eckler well, and Melvin and Gordon. Now it says no gain because on the thing you have to put that it's still at the one-yard line. But they actually spotted the ball literally about two inches away from the plane. Did you see It was incredible how close. Yes, I watched it. I didn't think there was conclusive evidence to overturn either of the first two. I thought the call on the field should have stood. I thought the goal line shot of Eckler with his back to the camera, you couldn't see the ball. How is that conclusive? There was kind of an off-angle shot of the same play. Well, I was also confused because they kept talking about that – there was a that Gordon, the, at least the announcers were harping on. Yeah. He had fumbled and recovered. I was confused by that because I'm like, well, if he fumbled and recovered, then you can't fumble forward. So did he fump? So then you can mark him down short because of that. But that was never addressed on the whenever the replay no. guy came back. So he just there said was some was confusing. Short. And also, things. I didn't think he did fumble. And whoever the rules analyst uh, for that game was said the same. He's like, well, there's a question if he fumbled, but it didn't look like he did. And there or, was a leg in the way of showing the entire yeah, ball if, on that if, one, if, too. If he breaks the plane, it doesn't matter if he fumbles on Exactly. On what, yeah, the play's over. So, so it looked like either the plane was broken and it was a it touchdown. It was very confusing. It was very confusing to watch. And that's not even including the last play. So they come out and say, it's reversed. He's down at the one. And there is a 10-second runoff then. Now Mike Rabel doesn't take the timeout. There's 19 seconds to go. Turning clock. Melvin Gordon, right guard to Tennessee one for no gain. Ruled short this time. The replay official reviewed the runner was down by contact, or excuse me, reviewed the down by contact ruling, and the play was reversed. Melvin Gordon, right guard for no gain to the Tennessee one. Fumbles caused by Wesley Woodyard, recovered by Jarrell Casey in the end zone. Clear and obvious recovery. So you have two touchdowns ruled on the field, and then a third review that overturns a down by contact ruling into, and this was the right call because Melvin Gordon was still on his feet when he fumbled. Fumbles into the end zone. Jarrell Casey recovers. Titans get the ball. Game over. One of the most absurd final scenarios I've ever seen, uh, and I'm still scratching my head about so, it. Fail down for the Chargers. So fail down and for the refs. Ugh, it was it was brutal. It was it was. I, honestly, I, I didn't care. I'm Melvin on my fantasy team, but I really care less about fantasy enough to get up in arms over over that. But just to watch that game was almost like typical Chargers. That's what it really felt like. And and it was funny because usually that's the Titans, right? Typical Titans, they do something crazy like that. But it seemed like they were the ones that kind of put it together and held. It was interesting, the replays and the angles. And I don't know. I'm never. I'm very anti-replay for a lot of things, anyways. But yeah. um, you know, I look like. I don't know. Titans got it, uh, and one poor guy's very upset about it. Are you ready for the absolute heartbreak? I am. And this is, you alluded to it, and I hate to even talk about it. And there's a vomit emoji with it on the tweet for obvious reasons. Some poor man. And we are not condoning betting in any way, but this is just too incredible to this is why you not don't, bring This up. is why you don't gamble. Correct, yes, this is a cautionary tale. Put down 150 bucks. You know, innocent enough, right? You know, depending on what financial situation you're in. And it was a 10-leg parlay. He had eight winning teams Rams, Cardinals, Colts, Dolphins Vikings, Packers, Jaguars 49ers and some of those were line bets some were just straight up wins he had the Saints as the ninth and the 10th was the Chargers. And he took the Chargers. <laughs> so and you, uh, won she had nine in the hole, right? Nine in the bag. $58,217 is what he would have taken home. 
Instead, he lost 150. Which is not too bad, but that's really like losing 58,367. Oh, yeah. Because that was twice on the field, and Hunter Henry said the same thing for San Diego after the game. We won it twice on the field. He won it twice on the field for $58,217, and it was ripped away from him by two replays that I did not think were conclusive personally. I feel much worse for him than the Chargers. Absolutely. <laughs> Just much worse for him I'm getting than nauseous. the Chargers. Okay. Fail right. downs and oh, that <sighs> I like man. that. We had to do that every once in a while. Fail, fail downs. Fail downs. All right, that'll do it. Let's uh, step aside for a timeout. Another fail. More fun. Jay versus pros. Woo! Back after this. San Jose Sidekick. Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a play. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? In the deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. And we are going to Game 7 in the National League Championship Series. The band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to be out of there. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Versus Jays. I need a shower. All right, I don't know if I need a shower yet or not. We'll find out. Well, this is a pros versus Jays this week based on an incredible moment on Thursday. Now, we didn't talk Thursday night slash Friday morning much about it on Santos and the Sidekick, 3.23 a.m. Insomnia after a loss edition because there was just a lot to comb through in the game itself. And quite honestly, after a loss, this moment felt kind of hollow. But we do have to revisit it today because it was number one on the Sports Center top 10. We own the nation, if nothing else. It was an incredible play by ETSU wide receiver Will Huzzy. Six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. This, of course, the highlight of the entire night for ETSU, really. Uh, again, felt a little flat after just because of the loss, but certainly no taking away what he was able to do. And we're going to hear uh, your call on that in just one moment. But it reminded me when I watched it of Odell Beckham Jr., and the one-handed catch, corner of the end zone, and uh, what some people have called the greatest catch in the history of football back in 2014. Can't remember who it was against. He was also interfered with. Uh, there was a grab on the jersey. Yeah, it was Monday Night Football. I can't remember who Sunday it was. Night Football. Oh, Sunday uh, yep. Night Football. So. Goes back over his head and catches it like almost with three fingers behind his helmet. It was absolutely absurd. And so I wanted to go back, and this is really the nature of pros versus Jays, and this is what we don't get to do enough because there, there's comparable moments in every football game to something big that a pro does and what you do, but uh, with your call versus the calls of the Odell Beckham Jr. catch, I thought that this was the perfect time to really reconnect with the soul of pros versus Jays. Uh, these catches were so similar, I thought, really, this is the Odell Beckham Jr. moment for the FCS this year, I think. Here's what the original Odell Beckham Jr. moment sounded like from Bob Papa and Carl Banks on Giants Radio. First and 10 Giants at the Dallas 43. Left hash mark, right to left on your radio. Offset, eye left, banning on a play fake. Rolls right, throws a deep ball down the right sideline. It's a jump ball. Odell Beckham Jr. made the catch with one hand for the touchdown. Wow, what a catch by the rookie. Ridiculous. Wow. He was literally parallel to the ground when he pulled that in. That is a difference maker, folks. 43 yards. On the touchdown pass, Manning to Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, so there's your guy Bob Papa. I thought Carl Banks like gave more. I thought Carl Banks like gave more to that call That's than Bob not, Papa. Yeah, did. Bob, uh, caught Bob off guard. <laughs> yeah, wait, <laughs> to be fair, I think Bob thought it was going out of bounds, and oh, hey, touchdown. 
<laughs> and you see flags and everything. And, and this is where I think the Sunday night football call struggled because the flags flew in, and our guy Al Michaels with Chris Collinsworth got a little distracted. Play action. And Manning's going to heave one. Is, oh, there's a flag. Beckham catch a one-handed catch. How in the oh, world? Oh, my goodness. And Brandon Carr was back there. I mean, he is insane. Okay, I like the That's insane That's like one of the, the greatest catches of all time, and you sort of still get the, hey, yes, he caught it. Exactly, and so that's where that hurt for me. Maybe the flag's flying in again, distraction well, they, they, and all. They definitely did not get naked on the call. No, they definitely didn't. I like the insane. I like the Chris. Did he catch that? But, like, that's Chris having to illustrate the actual play when Al's illustrating the flag. Uh, here is the Spanish radio call. Primero down y diez. Está comenzando el segundo quarter. Ganando los gigantes siete por tres. Play action, hace el rolado por la derecha, el pase larguísimo, y la atrapó con una mano, touchdown, no. touchdown no. de los gigantes no. de Nueva York, no, no. Whoa, 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 sencillamente whoa. increíble, atrapada con una mano. Es que toda la línea, miren esto, toda la línea ofensiva, Eli Manning, yo creo que hasta el coach Coughlin se va a quitar los headphones y va a correr a eso, miren esto, con todo el empujón, con todo el agarre, Con una mano como lo hizo en los calentamientos. Increíble, Edgar. I thought we had another word can that you I do. Really find a Spanish call that you don't like on a big play because my I have it still. The Spanish uh, I accidentally recorded the Super Bowl with the uh, Patriots Seahawks, not just in English, but in Spanish. And went back right after the game happened. I thought, I wonder how the Spanish team called that. And went back, and then I've deleted. I don't even have the English version. I've watched the whole game in Spanish about five times. It's incredible. It's beautiful broadcasting. It's unbelievable. Always. I want to make sure to go back and hear this one more time because it sounded like, to me, that the whoa, 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 whoa might have been you. Primero down y diez. Está comenzando el segundo quarter. Ganando los gigantes siete por tres. Play action. Hace... El rolado por la derecha, el pase larguísimo, y la atrapó con una mano, touchdown, no. touchdown no. de los gigantes no. de Nueva York. I've done that, that before. I've done that before. So, like, are you moonlighting? No, are you no, moonlighting as a color analyst for Spanish radio, or was that you in the background just now? It was neither, apparently, unless you are moonlighting for Spanish radio. I should. I, I would. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa! That sounded so much like you. You. <laughs> <laughs> and I have done similar things to that, and things that I don't believe or crazy things have happened. Um, it's almost like when you try to convince me Fletcher McGee was going to miss two free throws and give free Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, it's almost one of those. But that was not me. But I'm, that was certainly uh, in my broadcast realm of things I could do. I can guarantee you that it was not Jay Sando saying, whoa, 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 over the clip. But I have never seen you or Edgar Lopez in the same place. So it could be that Jay Sandos and Edgar Lopez are the same person. Uh Hopefully, you'd be honest about that, so we're going to have to take your word for it. Renee Geraldo on the call. I thought that was excellent. And here's yours of the FCS version of Odell Beckham, Will Huzzy's touchdown catch to give the Bucks their only touchdown Thursday night. Play action one way. Boy, they got a wheel route to Will Huzzy. Guy alone and a one-handed grab. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Touchdown, Will Huzzy. Oh, baby. One more time. Play action one way. Boy, they got a wheel route to Will Huzzy. Guy alone and a one-handed grab. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Touchdown, Will Huzzy. Oh, baby. For me, I think that is the best English call of the four that we've heard. Well, three that we've heard. I, I hate to break it to you, but I think that the Spanish language oh. announcers have bested you on this call in terms of the great catches. But I thought that was a very good call. Captured the moment. And when you go back and look at it on video, on TV, you harness the emotion and the great of that play by Will Huzzy, where I feel like Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Bob Papa, and Carl Banks fell short. They often people have asked about. Remember, I got asked on this quite a bit. People um, sending me messages wanting to know about the call, and you know, hey, it was a good call. Do you work on that? Do you do whatever? The best calls I ever make are the ones I never see coming. Right. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I knew that Huzzy. Clearly, you can hear me looking downfield seen Huzzy had broken free on the wheel route so um and it sort of just kind of happened fast so I didn't have a chance but he was at that time looked like he had a step then he threw a jump ball and honestly when he starts to jump I'm thinking oh no he overthrew him 
Right. I was still happy because there's a lot of times there haven't been jump balls thrown. And so I'm kind of excited that they threw the jump ball and Huzzy starts to climb the ladder. I'm still thinking, eh, because he's getting interfered with. His right arm's getting pulled down and he just sticks his left hand up and just kind of squeezes it, snares it, and curls, brings it in, hits the ground, and immediately jumps up with it. So there wasn't even a moment where, like, there's a hesitation from an official or anything of, like, did he catch you not? He come down, boom, popped up, there he went. Replay didn't even – I mean, they wound it pretty quick that it was a, a touchdown. But having plays like that, you know, sometimes my better calls when I know, let's say, a, a – you know, like the Juwan Stinson touchdown. Like, you could see him with a head start and going. I I had zero thought that that ball was going to be caught when it left because of where and how it was thrown. And he was being interfered with, which, which didn't draw a flag. But after doing the rest of the game, we noticed that if the guy didn't catch it, then the flags came out. And so there were pass interference called both ways after that. So I think they would have clearly thrown pass interference. But, yes, that was pure – uh, unadulterated emotion right there. I think it's a fair comparison, Odell Beckham Jr. I do. I like places. that. I like that. That's, uh, I mean, Odell Beckham was number one in uh, play of the day, sports Boom. center, and uh, so was Will Huzzy. So I think it's a direct correlation. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. That's not right. All right, what's up? Is that for a timeout? Uh, when we come back, bold predictions right after this. The recap of bold predictions. On the Buccaneers, Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. On the Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Well, this week on Bowl Predictions, we might as well just hit these over and over and over. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. You stubborn, stupid, silly man! He is the smartest no, man no, in the universe. No, none of those. None of those. Just, just when I think dumber, you couldn't possibly and Stubborn, stupid, silly man. Myself and Jay Sandoz, who will be right back with us in a moment or two, had three bold predictions apiece per the usual. I went three and 14 in my first 17 entering the week. Jay was two and 15. And so before uh, we get to Jay's, because he has taken a step out, we do this as live, clearly. Uh, we'll go over mine. And Arizona State, this is a shocker to me. Uh, clearly, the Sun Devils are not one to get blown out. They are not one to even lose by more than 11 points under Herm Edwards. That was their biggest loss heading into this past weekend against Utah in a battle of ranked teams. Number 13, the Utes, versus number 17, ASU. But this was an ugly, nasty, dirty, grimy game. It was rainy. It was uh, wet. It was sloppy. It was mistake-filled. And unfortunately for Arizona State, Jaden Daniels went 4 of 18 for 25 yards and an interception at the quarterback position. So, you know, Benjamin's 104 yards on the ground did not matter. 21-3. Utah wins at home. Zach Moss becomes the all-time leading rusher for Utah. And uh, unfortunately, Jay, I am another one to the less. A lost column filler was that I, I one really, I Shocking. Re I, I really can't comment on a lot of it because I don't know, I don't know who was worse this week. Well, uh, me and Arizona State was bad. Um, 
Demaryius Thomas, the touchdown is still alive because they haven't played yet. So that's tonight. Uh, I only go 0-2 over the weekend. Bad things happen to Russell Wilson. If you recall the prediction from fr- from Thursday night, Friday morning, I said that bad, bad things would happen to Russell Wilson. But I said it kind of that way, bad, bad things. Throwing a pick six and losing to the Ravens at home probably isn't quote-unquote bad, I mean, bad things. basically basically went for like career-ending injury or something. Well, like, it was the very things weird. that were happening to Kyle odd. Allen, Marcus That's Mariota, right. and the other quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. They don't, Mahomes was injured. Kyle Allen's going to get benched. Marcus Mariota was already benched. So I figured something bad, being taken out of the game, being injured during the game, something along those lines. I, I'm happy for Russell Wilson that didn't happen. I'm not happy for my bold prediction that it didn't. So, I, yeah, I, I know that I'm... What did you do? I don't even remember. Oh, so bad. Okay, uh, Texas Tech gave a little bit of fight. They only lost by 10. They were a couple touchdown underdogs, so they um, did hold it within the wise guys, what they thought it would be, but did not uh, beat Iowa State at home. The uh, second one was, uh, was it? oh, it was Aaron Judge hitting a couple home runs, which he did not hit a home run at all in any series game. So That's the elimination of the end. Nailed that. Uh, they did win the game, but that wasn't part of it. I right. just went with, with Judge. You know, and then the the last one, I uh, went with uh, two touchdowns to Delaney Walker, who was a late-game <laughs> scratch. So the only thing that you could be worse or timing for equally as bad is if somehow Demarius Thomas is a late-game scratch and doesn't play. Bad, they, bad And then things. we would be really, really, really bad. Bad, bad things. Everything I read Demarius up Thomas. to that was like, oh, he's going to go. He's on pace to go. He'll be fine. He'll be out there. I'm like, what a safety blanket for Tannehill. And then uh, about 20 minutes for the game, I happened to notice because Delaney Walker is my tight end. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? Noticed uh, he's going to be like game scratch. So, really good. Really good. Titans won. Yankees won. I could care less. Texas Tech didn't win. You go over three. I needed that one. Needed that one. Two and 18. I am three and 16, though Demarius Thomas can save me this week by going off with an unstoppable Jets offense. Maybe Sam Darnold is. Is he full of himself, or is he just too high in his team? Because he sees the production that when he comes back, the team is able to create. And is he just like, I'm amazing. Everyone around me is going to be amazing. And Chris Herndon is my favorite receiver, which would be weird, but maybe he is. Maybe that's the case. I'm trying to justify it for Sam Darnold, but when New England wins 45 to nothing tonight, I don't know if those justifications are going to hold I, I'm going that he knows Herndon isn't going to play for us a year, and he's just going with you can't play. I like that theory. Hey, we should talk to uh, Keith Britt, your guy from NDSU. Game oh, day's going to SDSU. Yeah. And game day has been play in the NDSU. Get him see and what I can do that. some stuff for the Sanford game. Yeah, yeah. Right. got to talk play-by-play uh, play there as well. We'll talk Sanford on Wednesday and then really get you set for the contest coming up Saturday. It's Wednesday's edition of Santa's Sidekick. I'm Buccaneer. See ya.